Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Jack Light of DJ Entertainment Amarillo and Sad Monkey Hall, both of which are businesses highlighted in the special bridal section of our January-February magazine. So you can read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com, courtesy of Northwest Physicians Group, and you can see uh, some of the other businesses. Today's guest is Sonia Gross. Sonia is originally from Georgia, but ended up in Amarillo because of a very early online dating situation, like AOL early, which she talks about in this interview. And that led to a lengthy local career in communications. She worked at the Amarillo Globe News. She was marketing director at the Amarillo Club. She spent several years employed by the city of Amarillo in communications, where she helped set up most of the city's original social media presence. And for the past seven years, Sonia's been employed by the Texas Department of Transportation. And so we talk about all that stuff, including how TxDOT thinks about road construction in and around the city, which is a topic I know listeners will find interesting. So here's Sonia Gross. Sonia Gross, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I know that we've known each other for several years, and I've known that you would be a good guest. And so I want to start with you the same way I start with everybody else, and that's just to ask, why are you in Amarillo? So what brought you to this area in the first place? Well, my husband is a native Texan. He had gone to WT and had grandparents down in Canyon, but I held him hostage in Georgia, where I lived okay. most of my life for seven years. And the entire time, all he did was complain about Georgia and tell me how much better Texas was in every aspect of your daily life. So I was working at a hospital in the uh, communications department, marketing mm-hmm. department, and it was a job that after three years was going to put me from being employed at the hospital to being incarcerated, I guess is the word I'm looking for, <laughs> incarcerated at the hospital. So it was time for a change. Okay. And so I pulled over the side of the road one night. I called information, you know, if anyone remembers 411. And they gave me the phone numbers to every television station, newspaper, and radio station in Amarillo. And I made a few phone calls, had some hot leads. And after working up the nerve, three days later, I sat my husband down and asked him how he felt about moving back to Texas. Really? And he was all for it. And so here we are, did, 18 did you, years later. Okay. Did you grow up in Georgia? I did. I'm Southeast? originally from Iowa, but okay. when I was seven, my parents moved their family of four down to Georgia. My parents started a janitorial supply business in Atlanta that was very successful for a number of years. And uh, they're both gone now, as is the uh, cleaning company, because uh, none of us wanted anything to do with that. (laughs) And um, so I lived in Georgia for 30 years, graduate of the University of Georgia, go dogs, and got to Texas as fast as I could. How did you and your husband meet if he was from here? Oh my gosh. So we're the original online dating story. Okay. I mean, before there were dating websites, we were the thing. And it happened quite by accident. A friend of mine saw that uh, he came over to help get a cat back in the house for me. And he saw my computer and was like, what do you use your computer for? I go, oh, I, you know, design programs for the radio station I work for. And I'm working on, you know, all the books I'm never going to finish writing and use it mainly for writing and designing. And he was like, well, are you on American Online? And I'm like, no, my 
my brother did that. He's on wife number three, I think, and mm-hmm. I don't want to have any part of those crazy people. But he managed to talk me into it, showed me how to set up a profile and how to search profiles. And I was like, why would I want to do that? He goes, well, what if you like quilting and you want to find a local quilting bee? I was like, I don't and I won't. And he was like, okay, whatever. And then my brain started rolling into deep thought. And I thought to him, I said, do you mean to tell me I can search out people who like Phil Collins and become their leader? And he was like, okay, I think it's time for me to leave. Yeah. And so he left and I uh, just put in Phil Collins as a search criteria and all of these profiles came out. And there was this one that used up every character allowed in your profile pitch. And all it was was sports, official score for WT baseball, volleyball, whatever it was, Rattlers, Dillas, Gorillas, you name whatever the Amarillo W. WT Sport was. He had scored over a thousand games and it was sports, sports, sports. And I did not grow up in a sports minded Mm -hmm. household. So I'm thinking, loser. And I'm about ready to forward on to the next profile. And finally, something popped off the page. It said, Phil Collins' birthday should be a worldwide holiday. And I was like, but of course. So I sent him a message and He thought I was his brother playing a joke on him. So I had to answer about 200 questions related to Phil Collins and Genesis before I passed his, you know, to establish that I was not his brother playing a trick on him. And uh, we started communicating that way. And uh, less than a year later, uh, I moved him to Georgia. He graduated WT. And as soon as he graduated, I came for that, loaded up the rider truck. It broke down on the way, but we got here. Or there, I guess. And yeah, very few uh, online dating stories start with AOL these days. Like I know. It's like really America Online, throwback. for those of you who don't know, it was before Google and all yeah, of that yeah. stuff. When we had to you know, get some free hours with the CDs and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, or and the dial-up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your perspective of Amarillo after moving here from having grown up most of your life in Georgia. It's very different. You know, if I'd have done some more research on Amarillo, I may not have necessarily arrived here because even though I'd been here before with my husband visiting his uh, grandparents and aunt and uncle and other folks, I, I didn't realize the lack of what I felt was a lack of diversity okay. uh, in culture, in food, in climate, you name it. It just completely was vanilla. And and I like diversity in my life. I like to meet people from all t- walks of life and stuff like that. But after having lived here for 18 years, I've realized we do have that just in different shapes and forms mm-hmm. than what I was used to growing up in the Atlanta area. Did the climate aspect... Oh gosh! You? I mean, I, that's a you know, big the thing first to get used five to. years, that wind was wonderful because it gave me a great excuse to have a bad hair day. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I I would you know when I went to the University of Georgia, I'd put on my makeup, I'd go out the door, and it would melt right off my face. My hair would frizz up. It was not a pretty sight. Not that it ever has been. But the humidity was always your excuse for a bad hair right. day in Georgia. Here, it's of course the wind. But it seems like every year I've been here, the wind has just worsened with each passing year and i just I'm, i've had enough yeah yeah I, I don't think you're alone with that I, I think most people if that's the thing they could change that's what it would be and now that i'm not a public information officer and don't work for the city and stuff like that i like the snow yeah okay yeah i understand that too let's let's talk a little bit about your work i don't need a resume but i know that you've spent a long career in 
marketing and communications, public information, all that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit of, of what you've done up to this point. Well, my career started out in radio, hence the fact that I love to talk and never shut up. But uh, radio, television, newspaper, all of that led to me being a, what was I, public relations manager at a hospital in Columbus, Georgia. And from that role, I was promoted to a community education manager. They dissolved that staff and then somewhat promoted me to a new position they created. I was publications manager, but I was still doing PR and community relations and all of the publications instead of just a handful of them. And uh, I woke up one day and could not move my left arm. And that's what started driving me uh, out of the hospital. That was the fear of being incarcerated. (laughs) That was the fear of being incarcerated for sure, for sure. And so uh, it it was time to change directions. And so uh, coming to Amarillo, uh, the best job offer, in fact, uh, the initial job offer I received was from the Amarillo Globe News as a copy editor. And the uh, gentleman who offered the position to me was younger than me. And I wasn't at that stage of my life prepared to work for someone that was younger than me. I've since then learned, boy, did I miss out. I would have learned so much from him. Mm. And uh, other opportunities would have presented themselves. Of course, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So it all happened the way it was supposed to be. But I had turned that job down, went back home to Georgia, and uh, worked at a newspaper freelancing for a few months. And then I was like, I did not quit a high-paying job at a marketing department in a hospital to sit around and work for a local county newspaper. Okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right, it but... just was, you know, not paying the bills. And so I, the same day that I decided to relaunch my job hunt, I get a call from Joanne Goslin, who is the general manager of the Amarillo Globe News. Mm-hmm. And she said, Sonia, I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, of course I remember you. She goes, well, we have another position open that I think you'd be perfect for. And it was an advertorial writer. Okay. So I was like, where do I sign up? When do I begin? And I actually got the official job offer uh, as I'd left Oklahoma City and was heading back towards Amarillo. And uh, st- I think that was on a Thursday or Friday, and I started on a Monday, and I was there for about two years okay. doing that. And uh, then it became apparent to me that newspapers were dying, that I needed to look towards the future and find out what kind of careers would be possible to me. And this was how long ago? That was... Uh, that was from 05 to 07, okay. I guess, or 08, something like that. And I had done sales off and on when I worked in radio, and it was something I was not good at. Also tried to do it for my dad's janitorial supply business. Did not do that very well either. So I was like, I don't want this job. But I did take a job as the membership marketing director at Amarillo Club. Okay. And Again, proved that I was not good at sales, <laughs> but it was also a, not a good economy either. Right. So uh, my lack of sales skills and the economy about doomed me financially. But while I was there, people, because I was in charge of the newsletter and other communications in my marketing role for that job, uh, realized that I was a good writer. And a lot of the Amarillo Club members would hire me to write stuff for hmm. them. I even had one lady ask me to do her obituary. Uh, wow. And I really wish I would have taken her up on that. But I just, again, if you are presented with opportunities, take them. Don't don't let your fear hold you back because I regret not doing that for her to yeah. this day. So, uh, again, off track, but 
I was doing so much writing that I decided to do it full time. And I'd done that for about six months when I got a message from Dean Frigo, who at the time was an assistant city manager of finance for the city of Amarillo. He said, keep your eyes open. We're going to be hiring a new community relations coordinator very soon. And I want you to apply for that job. I'm like, well, okay, insurance, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and a steady paycheck, that'd be even better. So I applied for that, got the job, and I did that for about four and a half years. Loved, I mean, it was a very trying job, a very stressful job. It was a tumultuous time with there the were, city. There's it? always tumultuous well, times at the city. Uh, but particularly while I was there, I was there, you know, when Jared Atkinson was forced out as mm-hmm. city manager. By the way, he was one of the best mentors I ever had. So I don't care what anyone has to say about him. I will, uh, to this day, stand by the fact that my experience with him was very good. And I learned so much from him. And uh, if it hadn't have been for that experience, I wouldn't have been approached by TxDOT to apply for a public information officer position, which I did for six and a half years. And last June, I think it was, I started a new role as a public involvement planner, and I have no clue what I'm doing. But, <laughs> you know, in a few more years, I'll be running the show. Well, let's talk about... I'm kidding if my no, boss I, hears I'm, this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Um, let's let's talk about these last two jobs, because I, I think both are would probably be of interest um, to my listeners. As a public relations person with the city, and I realize that job has probably changed, you know, over the past... 10 or 12 years since, since there's now at you, least seven there. people doing what I and did. I, on my I'm going to say there's probably a full department for it, but what did that look like? What were some of the things that you did? Well, I, I did everything quite honestly, from answering media inquiries to doing uh, and scheduling interviews, writing the press releases. I was the one who launched the city on social media. Okay. So I kind of wrote the book on that. And uh, every now and then I'll see people take credit for things. And I'm like, yeah, no, I did that. But that's okay. Um, I I know that. So that's all that I'm the only one who needs to know that it's all good. But you know, I get I was up in the helicopter in a helicopter taking pictures of downtown Amarillo, uh, because of all the changes that were taking Mm -hmm. place. I think they were building the embassy suites at that time. And so I was getting the groundwork for that. And of course, Globe News Center was a few years old by that time. And so the scene was changing. And no sooner do I step off that helicopter than my phone's going off. Where are you? You're supposed to be in the city manager's office now. And I'm like, I told you all where I was. And there was some emergency, of mm-hmm. course, and I had to drop everything I was doing and take care of whatever the disaster that day was, whether uh, it was water. It was always water bills uh, and still is. But, uh, you know, check them. Keep an eye on your meter. Pay mm-hmm. your bill. It won't get shut off. <laughs> but it's a constant stream of crises, right? Crises. I mean, it, maybe not some from the city perspective. Some but like, not. Yeah, there's, there's always... There's always an event to manage or um, things to explain or something to spin, if you want to put that kind of negative word on it. But, it, but you're, you're always having to communicate about what's happening at that level to 200,000 people. And no one wants to hear it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I always like to approach things from a positive perspective. You know, while everyone's complaining, I'm the one looking at why it's a good thing. Uh, I was a big believer on a lot of things the city did while I was there, which helped make me do my job easier. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the 
most difficult things I did was uh, go out to civic organizations and explain the city's, what was it, their ban on texting and uh, oh, cell phones while driving, yeah. while driving which... Again, I 100% support that still well, do to this day. It was pretty new here, but now it's universal in, in most municipalities, at least as I it's understand. It's just the sad thing is it's one of those things you can't really enforce. Right. Uh, so we have to self-patrol. So uh, everyone yeah. put those cell phones down. That band still exists. It's, I mean, people are just still doing it. They're still doing it. Always will. It's human nature. But I had to go out in front of the community and explain the new law and and you know, what people needed, the do's and don'ts of driving. And you would think that'd be real simple, but boy, I was met by a lot of angry people. Uh, and in the process, I learned which civic organizations I was interested in joining and which ones I wasn't. <laughs> so to let this be a message to people yeah. in leadership roles at civic organizations. You, you knew which ones were a little bit too grouchy for your taste? Uh, yeah, just a little too much. What was that like speaking on behalf of the city? Because I, I'm thinking about being in a position like that where you're answering questions from the community, but also, you know, having implemented the city's social media feeds, which, of course, that has become a huge thing, you know, over the past five or six years with misinformation, with conspiracy theories. It was still pretty early back then, but I, I think you probably still faced a lot of that kind of thing. People who do storytelling for themselves to explain why the city is maybe trying to get them or is up to no good or or something like that. How did you deal with all that kind of stuff? The same way you would deal with it on the phone. You know, most people just want to be heard. So the key is to be a listener. You know, not everything requires a response. Okay. Some people just want to complain. And uh, I noticed on a text uh, social media post today, uh, it was a very positive uh, post. It was about some safety enhancements TechStot was making. And the very first comment was a very lengthy paragraph about, when are y'all going to enforce this and enforce that? Well, TechStot is not an enforcement agency. Right. So I just, you know, it's like, uh, okay, I'm going to put my citizen's cap on here <laughs> and say, that's a question for your law enforcement agency, you know, and then I put a little icon of a, or an emoji of a police car and, and went about my business. And, uh, the person who replaced me as PIO at TechStot, he sent me a thank you. He goes, we are not an enforcement agency. I was like, I know, I know just so it's okay. People don't realize that. And so we have to explain it to them. But that's one of the hard parts I think of whether it's with TechStot or with the city is you have to allow people to vent. Yes. And people like me and probably like you, like I, I want people to be correct. I want people to have the right information. And so sometimes it's hard to not just jump in and argue against them and say, this is why you're wrong. Here's the truth. Just sitting and listening can be a struggle. Well, it's funny you say that. I was at a retirement party a few weeks ago, and I met a lady who said, I think I talked to you on the phone. And I go, well, what was it about? She mm -hmm. goes, well, I was complaining about the construction on I-27 and why it was taking so long. And I was looking for answers. And she goes, I think it was you. She goes, the response to me was, well, I drive that road every day too. And I'm frustrated as well, but the end product's going to be, and I was like, yeah, you talk to me. I remember yeah. that conversation. <laughs> and that sounds exactly like something I would say. And she goes, after you told me that you drive the road every day and you understand, there was nothing left for me to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was like, I can't, I can't complain to somebody who gets it. So sometimes it's about connecting, understanding. You've really, uh, and the, 
again, listening, you know, hearing people, understanding their frustrations. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when they take it to the next level and start attacking you personally, you just are like, there have been times when I've had to tell people, when you're ready to talk to me in a civil manner, you're welcome to call back. And I did that to someone at TextDot a few years ago, and I hung up, and he called back immediately, and I let it go to voicemail. Um, You know who you are? I've got that message saved (laughs) and recorded, and your number has been banned from TextDot. Maybe that person is listening (laughs) to this podcast. (laughs) Hopefully they're not. Hopefully they're in a cave somewhere. But uh, But before we move on from the um, employment with the city, I'm I'm interested in in what you learned about Amarillo, about Amarillo people working in that capacity. Because you you had moved here from someplace else. You you weren't new to the city, but – um, to have a transplant all of a sudden having that sort of responsibility in communicating with the public, um, what did it teach you about the people here? It really didn't teach me anything I didn't already know, uh, except it did bring out the ugly people, okay. you know, the the habitual complainers, and that was to be expected. What I already knew about Amarillo and the community is that the people, when they're not angry, they're great. Or, or when they're not behind the wheel of a car, <laughs> they're great. Uh, most, some of the most helpful, sweetest. I'll give an example. When I was still working at the newspaper, uh, I started there in August of '05. My father passed away in March of '06, and I was making arrangements to get home to Atlanta for the funeral. And my coworkers in the ad department. Uh, between the ad sales people and the graphic designers in the advertising department, they all took up a fund, hmm. and uh, I didn't have to pay a penny to get home for wow. my dad's funeral. And those are some of, I mean, and I've had the opportunity, whether it was at Amarillo Globe News or the city of Amarillo or Textile, I have had the great fortune to work with some of the best people on the planet. And that that's really been the difference for me uh, coming from Georgia, you know, uh, and no offense to to people who think there is such a thing as Southern hospitality. That just was not my experience. Okay. So I, I feel more at home here. I felt like I should have always been a Texan. That's interesting. So here I am loving it. But one of the other things, if you don't mind, I'd like to uh, talk about the city of Amarillo. I had a unique opportunity to develop and facilitate and participate in the Citizens Academy called Amarillo 101. The city manager came to me and the deputy city manager at the time one day and said, we need a Citizens Academy. People need to understand what civics is. They need to understand what the city does, what it doesn't do, and research it, make it happen. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, the deputy city manager, she had her hands full, so it really fell on me to do the research. And then once I presented it, she took it, tidied it up, made it better, and we presented it and launched it. And I, I think they're still doing it, it probably not as frequently. We did it uh, twice a year mm-hmm. when I was doing it. And, you know, through that, obviously, I learned more about the city. People just don't realize how important water is mm-hmm. and what the city does to ensure that we have a viable water supply for a uh, hundred plus years and hopefully more than that. Uh, they don't understand what the city budget looks like right. and how they come to those numbers and how they spend those dollars after that budget is agreed upon. Uh, they don't understand the amount of equipment it takes to run a city, whether it's equipment involving the street department, the water department, or even the equipment that goes into putting a police vehicle together. 
it's just insane how much goes into everything. And and Jared Atkinson knew everything. And I think his predecessor did too. Uh, but uh, Jared, I just really admired his ability to know everything about every department. Right. And uh, I only knew a minuscule amount. And if I was doing that much, I felt that was an accomplishment compared to what he was able to do. And you know, the people that went through, we were only able to accommodate about eight, anywhere from 18 to 25 people per session. And I met some of the most amazing people doing that. I think one of your recent guests, Joseph Peterson, yeah, uh, a lot of the guests actually that you've had here on the Hey Amarillo podcast have gone through the Amarillo 101 Citizens Academy. And I'm like, oh, I know them from 101. Well, and it's, it's one of those things that I, I feel like you know, anybody who's running for office, anybody who is taking a leadership role in the city, like it's worth doing um, because you're not ap operating out of ignorance. You know, you understand yes. to a degree, here's what works. Here's what happens. Here's what I'm not seeing. You know, here's what happens when there's a pothole and you're instead of just complaining about it, like it, you got to put into motion a whole string of things to get that fixed. And so it's, it's the kind of thing that uh, I think is super helpful. Uh, I almost wish that it was bigger than it is now, that, that more people could go through it. Oh, definitely. But uh, realistically, yeah. just that's not feasible. But it, it is a great program. And as the city hopefully continues to offer that program, whether you're thinking of running for office or you're just someone in your cave minding your own business, you know, like I've become, <laughs> uh, do it because you'll have a much better appreciation and understanding. And so when you do go to argue against something You'll understand what it is you're arguing right. for or against. Let's talk about the text dot side of your career. Oh, um, do we have? No, I'm no. I, I I feel like that's one of those things that listeners will find interesting and might know the least about because text dot, you know, is roads, and people love to talk about roads or complain and it's about state. roads. It's, yeah, it's, and it's it's not people with the city probably complain about text dot just like you know. People are complaining about the city. And so talk to me about what you do and and maybe how you've come to understand the role that TechStop plays. TechStop plays a very large role, but people don't understand. And I had a I had enough knowledge to be dangerous when I worked at the city, but I didn't really see the big picture until I went to work for TechStop. Obviously, I knew what roads the city was responsible for mm -hmm. and when a reporter would call and want an interview on X, Y, and Z. I knew whether or not to hand it over to my street department or to send them over to TechStop. Right, because not every I, road in the city correct. limits is the so responsibility of the a city. A state road is going to be your interstates, your state highways, your actually your farm-to-market roads, your ranch-to-market okay. roads, the loop, obviously. So all the main uh, corridors that are state or federally funded are going to be managed by TechStot. They're going to be built and maintained by TechStot. So when it comes to snow response, you know, there's a certain tier that we work in, and the city works the same way. They work in tiers. What gets plowed first? Mm -hmm. The major arterials, the roads that will go to the hospitals, you know, so your neighborhood is going to be the last thing that gets plowed, if right. at all. So uh, I remember when I worked at the city, when are you all going to come plow my alley? Uh, well, we're not. 
well, what are my taxpayer dollars Trying going to towards? Sure culture is open right <laughs> you now. Know? Well, do you want to get out of your driveway or do you want an ambulance to be able to take you to the hospital, yeah. you know? So um, not to be a smart aleck about it, but, you know, I guess I kind of am. <laughs> I mean, those are the things that, that people don't understand. You know, they're looking only at the thing immediate to them and not exactly. thinking, okay, here's and we this all do larger that. situation. I do that too. And, and I'll, I'll go over a pothole or something and I know whether or not to curse the city or text on, mm-hmm. you know, and the entire time I worked for the city, I'd be going down I-27, darn you, dot, darn you. And then when I came to dot, I'd be going down I-27, darn you, dot, darn mm-hmm. you. But uh, everything is a work in progress. Tell me about that progress, because I, I think what people see, and, and this has been a common thing that we've talked about, even on the podcast, is about the construction in Amarillo, whether, and people say in Amarillo, but they mean the loop, or they mean I-27, or they mean stuff along I-40. A lot of that construction is the responsibility of TxDOT, Correct. not the city. Um, Although the city, depending on the project, the city and the counties, and even Canyon to a degree, Uh, play a hand in it possibly as well, depending on the type of project, because this was one of the things, and I'm sorry to go back to the city on you, but one of the meetings that I was uh, required to sit on when I worked at the city was the Amarillo Metropolitan Planning Organization, or Amarillo MPO for short. And I'm so glad that I was exposed to that. I still don't 100% understand it. It It's expanded to include a canyon Mm-hmm. Uh, as long I've been doing this for 10 plus years now. And so it, that role of the MPO and the makeup of it has changed over the last 10 years of my being involved. And my when I say involved, I sit in, I listen, I pay attention. Sometimes I communicate when okay. necessary. Um, I don't have anything to do with votes. You're not making decisions. Like no, I, I'm never allowed to make decisions. <laughs> uh, if Sonia ruled the world, watch out. But uh, so... You got to know where the money's coming from, who's involved, why it takes so long. Does the city have to move utilities? Does the county have to move utilities? Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many factors that go into uh, building a road before it even goes to construction. You know, there's obviously the design of it. There's the uh, utilities as right of way required. You know, so many factors that you just don't. You, you know, we're we're planning stuff right now that probably won't go to construction for the next five to 10 years. So it's exciting. Uh, I came on board at TxDOT at a real exciting time when they were really picking back up the whole loop. And because it had been a long time since a long time. And you know, and that's something if, if I may, since we're talking loop now, what I hear a lot and I'll, I'll admit I'm guilty of this myself, but Everybody says it's not a true loop. You know, Lubbock has a loop. Why don't we have a loop? Well, according to my husband's research, and he's a pretty good researcher, there are really only six true loops in the entire state of Texas. So don't, Amarillo's, let's not, you know, get all upset and go, oh, darn, Lubbock has everything. As well, if people want to just make a circle around the city? And <laughs> just, you know, is there a demand for uninterrupted circles? <laughs> well, there is a demand for uninterrupted circles because you have to have viable routes for hazardous waste okay. that's being transported on those big trucks. Uh, you don't want that going through downtown Amarillo, right. do you? I don't. No, but it, uh, I mean, it used to. I remember the and, hazardous cargo routes. You exactly. Know. And so that that's just one of the many reasons why loops are important. And what 
makes a loop a true loop is state designation. So it is designated a loop uh, by the Texas Transportation Commission. That's what makes it a loop. Now, as a driver, what makes it a true loop, obviously, is you've got your main lanes where you're going down the center, you're Mm -hmm. happy, you're going 60 or whatever the posted speed limit is. Please drive the speed limit. It saves lives and buckle up while you're at it. But then you also have your frontage roads and your exits to get off onto the side roads. So uninterrupted traffic is what we want out of a loop, similar to what you're going to get on your I-27 and your I-40. That's what the loop should look like okay. when it is eventually completed, which will not be in our lifetimes. I was going to say, uh, is there just, a timeline or is no, it like an it, ongoing thing? It's, it's going to be ongoing because people don't understand the millions of dollars and, and the amount it costs to build today. I, I don't have the uh, actual numbers in front of me, but it has skyrocketed since they started Gosh, how long have I been with TechSot now? Seven and a half years mm-hmm. or thereabouts. And it just the construction costs. So whatever we projected the this portion of the loop to cost three years ago, that's not the case. In fact, I think we had to go back to the Texas Transportation Commission and ask for more money to finish one segment of the loop because the construction costs had gone up. And we that wasn't just us. That was a statewide thing. Yeah. And they had to look at the budget and where they could make those losses come come to life and you know it so many factors so that's why you see the loop being built in phases and in, okay. in sections so you'll see uh the southeast portion will be called a the southwest section will be b the north western portion is c and the neglected if you will uh because the money and demand just isn't there right now the northeastern portion is d and then you take a, B, C, and D, and you do se- segment A, B, C, D, or segment one, two, three, and then there's subsections, and you know, then you have your contractors, and then you have their subcontractors, and it's just a lot of moving pieces, yeah. and so, and, and that's why you have to build it in sections, just because you're st- going to stand a better chance of getting money for this section. And if you build segment D out in, th- I'm just making this up, but say you build section D out in three segments and you get seg- you get funding for segment one first and then segment three mm-hmm. and then segment two. That's why you see people moving from left to right and nowhere in the middle okay. sometimes. It just really depends on how the project gets funded. Yeah. Tell me about that. Funding. There's 12 different funding categories. And that's all I'm going to say about well, that. <laughs> because I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, of course they're building out the southwest side of the loop, but they're neglecting the northeast side, just like Amarillo has always neglected the northeast side. Tell me, like, how those decisions are made. This is what we're going – this segment is what we're going to prioritize. Is it based on demand? Is it based on number of drivers? Is it a population thing? I mean, how does that funding it, get It's determined? a number of factors, but I, I think – I can safely say that while you're seeing the west portion being done uh, before you see anything on the northeast side is that's going to be our best viable route to move that hazardous material okay. and vehicles that are over the height and weight limits that we allow on our roadways. So you've got to have a, a safe place to divert those. And that's the most logical okay. path. You know, so you got to look at, well, what way are they already going? 
okay, so this is where we need to build. They weren't going in the northeast side. Right. They were going on the other side of the loop. To and that goes that back happen. to the conspiracy theorists who are always going to say, well, you know, they're just going where all the money is. And the biggest houses are in southwest Amarillo. And so they're going to get nicer roads before we give nice roads to everybody else. And that's not how the funding works. The you funding- know, fillings are one thing. And I totally understand, and feelings are valid, but uh, so are facts. Mm-hmm. And and so you have to look at uh, not, not so much the demographics. You only look at demographics when it comes to what I do now, and that's the public involvement. You know, who who lives in this community? Who is this project going to impact? Is English their primary language? Um, is there a deaf community there? Are we going to need sign language mm. folks there? Are we going to need Spanish uh, interpreters there? Stuff of that nature. That's more what I'm into now. Okay. Uh, helping look at, and I support five different districts now, including the Amarillo district. And we look at a number of different factors of where are we going to have that public meeting at to introduce this project to the public uh, how are they going to get there do we need to provide transportation mm-hmm. you know just a number of different factors go into making those decisions is it handicap accessible you know we we have to be very diligent to offer everybody an opportunity to see what TxDOT wants to accomplish and how and I can't tell you how many times I've seen public feedback lead to changes in design. Really? Okay. Because they're, they know that property better than we do. They know where those rare chances when it rains, where it's going to pull up. So, uh, you know, so we've had to change where culverts have gone or driveway access goes and stuff of that nature. And uh, the public input is paramount in having a successful project. The, the last thing I wanted to ask uh, related to that and to this area is it strikes me that as a TxDOT employee, and, and you mentioned this, you become more aware of the roads or of driving than you might have been otherwise. And, and we talk about driving a lot in Amarillo. We're very much a car culture. Um, has it changed the way you think about the city, the layout of the city, how to get around in the city, your employment with TxDOT? Not necessarily, because one of the things I've always appreciated about Amarillo since day one was the ability to get to anywhere you want to go in a multitude of ways. Okay, uh, We have a very good grid, in my opinion, and I'm just basing this off of you know, my experience driving in Georgia and other places, it's just when I worked at the city of Amarillo, if there was a weather event or any kind of disaster emergency that required me to report to the emergency uh, communications office, Mm -hmm. we were down in a basement. It was, you know, we had TVs and stuff like that, but there were no windows to get a good view of what was going on. And once the event was over, we were like, okay, you can go. Well, I get out there and while the event is over, the water's still on the road, you know, and I had to find a number of times, I, f- I found a route where that had the least amount of yeah. flooded roads. It took me 20 extra minutes to get home, but I wasn't driving my vehicle through uh, very deep waters in the process. And it's because we have such a good grid uh from a street perspective, not just the city, but Texas also, that allows you to get around, get to where you need to go. Right. Uh, like there were a number of ways I could have come here today, but I went the way Siri told me after I, you know, told her that was the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> 
The, the last thing I wanted to ask is just, you know, you, uh, you moved here, but you stayed here. You know, you, you have found a way to um, continue to be part of the life of the city, to continue to find fulfilling work. Why, why have you stayed in Amarillo? Why not? The people are awesome. And, you know, I like to get away. I like to travel. And so we, we go to Albuquerque quite often. You know, if we want to, we could go to Oklahoma City, but a little too hot over there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, too, too much humidity. And that's coming from a girl that grew say, up in Georgia. You left that behind. <laughs> it, it's funny. My, my skin misses the humidity. Uh, my, my hair and uh, lungs do not. All right. But that, that's how that goes. But the, the people are what keep me here. Everybody is just so nice, so, so wonderful. I'll never forget. I was out of town when, I don't know if it was a tornado or a severe thunderstorm, something went through our neighborhood. And all my girlfriends checked on my husband. And I'm, I guess I should say all my husband's girlfriends <laughs> checked on him to make sure he was okay because everybody was watching the weather and, oh, Wade lives there. And, you know, it just was very interesting. I'm like, oh, he's got people looking after him. Yeah. I don't have to worry. But uh, I don't worry. I still called. I checked on him. I probably wasn't as quick to the phone as the other girls were. But, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's all right. This week's episode is supported by Wick Realty. I recorded every interview over the past couple of years in my home studio, including this one. My family and I love our house and we love our neighborhood. And we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one several years ago. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, or even if you're a first time homeowner, Talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Okay, I'm back with Sonia Gross. Sonia, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a lot of classic and historic vehicles, including a 1903 Ford Model A runabout, which was vehicle number 28 out of only 1,708 ever produced. It's the oldest assembly line vehicle in the world. You can see it at the museum. Uh, learn more at penhandleplanes.org. Okay, first question. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, and I know you're probably thinking in that direction because you said you're always about 10 years out in planning. All right. But uh, what do you hope for? I hope for more industry, more business, more jobs, more good-paying jobs, uh, jobs that offer opportunities that will help keep our younger people here. Okay. Other than wind, which we discussed, what does this area have too much of? I don't know if you can have too much of anything. I like all the things too much of. Seems like there are too many coffee shops, but there's plenty of them, and they're mm -hmm. always busy, so there's not too many coffee shops. I'm going to have to do a hard pass on that okay, one. Okay, just hard pass. <laughs> Not not too much construction though, because you're happy about the road oh, no. construction. There's that's... there's always the right amount of construction, yeah. and I I would just say to anyone that's frustrated by it, know that it's serving a purpose that's right. going to benefit all of us in the end. I I appreciate having you as a guest who is going to say that right now we have the perfect amount of construction, and we always will have the perfect amount of construction because they're only doing it if it's needed. Well. If it's not only if it's needed, but it also has to be funded. Okay. There are plenty of projects out there that we still need. Right. There's just not funding for them. So maybe 10 years from now, I want to see more construction. Okay. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? It doesn't have enough 
employees willing to keep chain restaurants here. I'm a big hmm. lover of the local restaurants, but you know, having grown up in Atlanta, I you know, I'm a diehard Dunkin' Donuts, Panera Bread kind of gal. And when uh, Fuddruckers came, I was so excited and I went there and I was so disappointed. It just, it's really hard for Amarillo to keep good chain restaurants, successful chain restaurants that do well everywhere right? until they get to Amarillo. So I forget what the question was now, no, but that, I went off on a well, tangent. Well, we don't have enough of, but I, I think that is an interesting thing to think about because the the problem with keeping those open may not always be demand. It may not always be operation, but just an employee base because we have such low unemployment numbers that it's hard to find people to work. This is true. So we need more people who are willing to work. Okay. <laughs> what's uh, what's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? Oh, there's so many here. Uh, that uh, When I first moved here, I thought, there's too many nonprofits in Amarillo, but it turns out it's just right. Okay. Could probably use more. The one that I personally support is the 100 Club of Amarillo. Right. That's an organization where you donate at least $100 every year. You get an annual membership, and those funds go to help support our law enforcement, firefighters, and other first responders in their times of crisis. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop, speaking of the abundance of coffee shops we have? Oh, gosh, it's got to be, you know, any place that has coffee, I love it. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to have to go with Cliffside. Okay. Because they always make me feel like I'm cool and hip and they're interested to see me, when if they really knew me, they'd probably just brush me off. But uh, keep up that friendly service and I'll keep coming back. Is there a certain one that you go to? That, well, you know, I was really disappointed that the the one that is now off of Western, uh, inside that parking lot of a shopping center, yeah, uh, that used to Your be 34th. in the parking lot of the shopping center where Drug Emporium is, because I go down Forty Fifth all okay. the time, and so their relocation has uh, made it hard for me to get to them. Okay, so so come back to Forty Fifth or somewhere on Forty Fifth because I will drive by you and I will buy coffee even yeah. if I don't need it. You just you have to drive by it and think about it in order to to head there. Well, I work mostly from home now too, so that right. plays a role in it as well. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Oh, gosh. I, I'm not a food truck fan. Uh, don't ask me why. It's just not my thing. I don't get the craze, uh, you know, but for but I, I say that, but I've got a cousin who has one uh, up in Iowa, actually. So go food trucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably eat at his. But well, our, love... our Iowa listener base will <laughs> yes, be I know. happy to hear It'll that. expand exponentially after this, Sayers. But I, I do love Spicy Mike's Barbecue, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of places, you know, don't do barbecue the way I like. I uh, found one in Austin that I really love so much so that every time I go, that's the only place I eat at. But for barbecue here, I go to Spicy Mike's, but my all go around go-to restaurant is going to have to be Hofbrau. Okay. Brow Hofbrau chips. And, and that's a great, both of those are great local restaurants locally. I love them all. We've yeah. got so many. That is one thing that's also kept me here uh, is the allure of all the locally owned and operated restaurants. We have so many. I mean, I could say the Pancake Station. I could say uh, Calico County. I could say Malcolm's. There's so many I could say. Uh, I love them all. You mentioned Spicy Mike's. I don't know that I've told this story, but we were, my family took a vacation to Hawaii and we were on the island of Kauai and talking to somebody about Amarillo. And this tour guide said, oh, I, I have family in Amarillo. Have you heard of Spicy Mike's Barbecue? <laughs> 
And we're like, yeah, yes. It's but a yes, small we have. world, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, what's your favorite street in Amarillo? I love all the streets, of course. I thought you might. Yeah, but I'm a huge bridge lover. Okay. And so, and we don't really have too many of those here. That kind of saddens me. But ha- having worked at TechStop for the last seven years, I've been on some bridge deck pours and stuff like that. That's really exciting until the big trucks go by. But any street that has a bridge okay. is going to be my favorite street. All right. Is there a certain one? There's. We've got a couple of bridges close to downtown. <laughs> All of them, really. Okay. All of any them. Any bridge. I, any bridge is good. You, you give me a road with a bridge any day. I mean, I'm going to, you know, if you haven't figured out I'm a dork yet, here's here's the telltale sign. When I was little, uh, growing up in Iowa, if we went under an overpass, I'd make my dad get off the exit and go over it and do a turnaround just of, so I could be on a, Okay. even though it was an overpass, I called it a bridge. And your dad would do that for you? Oh, yeah. That's a good dad. Yeah. He was a truck driver at that time in okay. his life and taught me how to drive. Uh, a lot of cursing going on there. But <laughs> but uh, I, we're, I've not hurt anyone yet. Okay. Well, when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Uh, it's been too long. It's probably been about five years ago when my younger sister was visiting from the Atlanta area, and I took her down there, okay. and uh, she got to experience that. And it's fun to ex- re-experience it through the eyes of someone who hasn't seen it before. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like local people to know about or to experience? I want to endorse my husband. Okay. He is the most awesome human being on the planet because he puts up with me. I always joke that he, and I, you know, wink, wink joke that he's on all of my friends prayer list because he has to put up with me. Uh, You know, I'm trying to be charming today, but I'm not always. And he, he's the one who gets to see the uncharming side of me and and he puts up with that and and still loves me through all of that. So I endorse him 100%. What's his name and where might people encounter him? Oh, that's a very easy question to answer. His name is Wade and we share the same last name. It's gross as in gross national product or you take your take your preference there. And a lot of people already know him. He's become more famous than me. I was on TV a lot in my last two roles and now I'm not. And so he's getting all the recognition because he is one of two public address announcers for the Amarillo Sod Poodles. He uh, rotates that responsibility with Ed Montana. And he, uh, within the last year, started being the public address announcer at West Texas A&M University, his alma mater, where he uh, is currently doing basketball games. I think this week, this uh, next few weeks, he'll be doing some softball if uh, weather allows. Um, maybe some other sports at WT. I know that they tried to get him for Amarillo College, but I think he was already committed to WT. So if you're out and about and you hear a, a voice where he's talking extra deep and sounding sexy, that's my husband. Okay. Now we know. Yeah. Sonia Gross, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Sonia for the interview, to Wick Realty and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast, and thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you especially for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Katie Linger, Josh Wood, Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, and Barbara and Jim Witten. 
This has been episode 340. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.